This is the Tech EU podcast, where we discuss some of the most interesting stories from the European tech scene. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasting fix these days. On today's episode, Robin Vouter sits down with Herman Narula, CEO at Improbable. Hey, this is Romuald from Tech.U, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as per usual, uh, by Mauricio Magaldi from a company called 11FS. Uh, and we're going to talk about how, how Web3 is uh, changing the future of finance, which is a report that Mauricio actually authored uh, very recently, quite a comprehensive report. Uh, we're going to talk all about that in a minute. Uh, but before that, Mauricio, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and 11FS? Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Robin. Uh, pleasure to be with you guys today. Um, so, um, I've been with 11FS for around six months. Uh, we started to put together what we call the Web3 crypto practice in the cons consulting arm, which is 11FS Ventures. 11FS is a challenger consulting company, six years old, specialized in financial services, hence the FS in the name. Um, we are, we mostly do, uh, fintech and neobanks for our corporate clients. And uh, with me uh, arriving, we're also servicing crypto native companies and uh, incumbents that want to, you know, dip their toes into crypto, Web3, DeFi, etc. Uh, my background is in financial services. I've been in the industry for over 20 years. Uh, started off in Brazil, where I spent most of my career, um, covered a lot of Latin America, uh, pioneered uh, Latin America blockchain services with IBM back in 2017. So I've been around. Uh, crypto and blockchain for uh, some years now have been gone through uh, uh, the whole crypto winter and summer cycles uh, for for some time now. Um, but it's um it's a it's a great opportunity to actually help uh, build a new internet. So yeah, we're we're just super excited uh, about uh, Web three and crypto in general. Great, fantastic. Well, thanks thanks again for joining us. Uh, as I mentioned, we are going to talk about uh, your report. I'd say uh, because you're the main author of it. Our, our report. <laughs> Your report. Uh, uh, but it's uh, called How Web3 is Shaping the Future of Finance. Uh, there is quite a lot to unpack uh, in it. Uh, but maybe let's first talk about uh, the reason why this report exists in the first place. What was sort of the reading behind uh, putting it together? No, great. Yeah. So um, we talked to a lot of clients, right? I mean, uh, we've been talking to regulators, banks, fintechs, crypto natives, and we saw a lot of gap in understanding, I'd say, uh, of what these things are, what are the primitives, what they mean for businesses and users. Uh, and the questions were all kind of the same. Uh, so we felt the need to kind of put together something that would be, uh, take the conversation to the next level, right? Instead of just having the, like the first conversation explaining how we see Web3 and crypto and DeFi, um, why not start a level above by having them, you know, handing them a, a, an interesting, easy to read material that they can take anywhere, um, that then would start a conversation at a level above and, and move faster towards, uh, you know, maybe thinking about a project together, maybe putting some partnerships together with other um, Web3 providers. So I think the overall goal is to actually level set knowledge, uh, because I think education is a big chunk of what we do in the industry right now, um, but also to help people understand what this is, what are the impacts, how they can tackle the opportunity if they so choose. And I think to that extent, I think we're, we're very successful because the, the questions now have changed. 
People who have read the report are now asking more sophisticated questions uh, for us. So we are actually starting off at a, at a much advanced, um, much more advanced uh, level of the conversation, which helps everybody, right? You, you, you kind of uh, shortcutting into stuff that's really uh, valuable to the business and not only, you know, what the hell is this that's happening? Now they can read through uh, the, the report is easy to navigate. Um, there's a lot of, you know, choose your own adventure type of navigation there. Um, which we kind of did on purpose because we knew that the, the subject is self-referencing. Um, so yeah, I think that was probably the most uh, you know mundane reason. Um, it was not to be one of the um, you know the companies to define what Web three is. I don't think that that was the goal, but the goal was to kind of bring our definition to the you know the dialogues that we're having with the industry. Yeah, this is sort of sort of the problem that I see also talking to people sort of outside of tech. That these terms are changed, uh, well, are used interchangeably, like Web three, Metaverse, Crypto, NFT. For a lot of people, all of that's basically the same thing, uh, which of course it isn't. So, so the report does go to great lengths uh, in the beginning, especially to sort of outline what's a wallet, what's a token, uh, what is Web three for us, um, because Web three is in the title of it. Maybe just to sort of shortly explain how you, uh, as eleven FS, of course, uh, see Web three and sort of why is it the next evolution of the web and how is it different. So I think uh, one distinction we wanted to kind of bring forth with the report is the uh, Web3 is not crypto, but it includes crypto, right? Web3 includes metaverse. It includes, you know, things that are being built with blockchain and crypto in mind uh, or as a primitive, but it's not necessarily interchangeable. So if you, if you say Web3, in our minds, we're talking about all of that. All of the new internet, what it's, whether it's immersive, whether it's um, X to earn, right? Move to earn, play to earn, whatever you do to earn. Um, it's the internet of incentives because everything now is incentivized in a financialized way. Is also crypto and cryptocurrencies. Uh, and it's also stable coins and it's also NFTs. So I think the, the idea of Web3, especially because it, it kind of serves well the like the palette of the non-initiated in crypto, the non-natives, I think it, it kind of eases in the conversation of what, oh, Web3, I'm used to the web, right? The, the web, what is, what is it that you call Web3? And then there is a lot more curiosity, whereas in crypto, it's, it still carries the bad branding. If you, if you check the recent um, mainstream media podcasts and headlines, everyone is like, oh, the crypto winter, the crypto winter this, the crypto winter that, but nobody's talking about the crypto uh, the web through winter because it's 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 become easier to you know lash out on crypto because oh it's speculative everything's a ponzi scheme and the way we see this is for the technology and the enablement that these technologies bring to financial services in general obviously there's other industries being impacted but we focus mostly in financial services so the way we see web3 uh, and we call it a glow up Right, it's 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 a it's a more palatable way of addressing all of the business models and opportunities that are enabled by cryptocurrency-like technologies, plus other technologies, obviously, uh, that then become this now uh, the the web of ownership, the web of incentives, um, and this is and this is why we kind of referenced the Web three report and now the crypto report because we understand that this that there's been a shift in narrative. But it's to ease on the conversation and it helps everyone understand that this is not for the sake of speculation. This is for the sake of using new technology with new primitives 
to actually build a different internet. Finance, of course, touches everyone, probably from individuals to, to businesses. Um, but for individuals specifically, um, for my mom, your mom, join the streets, uh, why should they care? Why should they care about Web3 and the way it is actually cha changing the, the future finance as the report outlines? So I think one of the big gaps right now for crypto Web3 in general is UX, right? If, if you try to use any decentralized application or the dApps, as we call it, um, you'll have a hard time. Nothing is intuitive. There's a lot of coding in your face, like 0x some things. And this has been tackled by the industry already. So there are pockets of builders building to fix that. Uh, that's what I think is the first hurdle to your mom, my mom, or whoever's mom is trying to use these things. But the real benefit is almost underlying what we do. Um, what crypto and Web3 in general offers is that now you own your data concretely because you hold your private keys to the data that's stored in blockchains. And you can take your data with you anywhere, right? So it's not like my mom is using Facebook and her data now belongs to Mark Zuckerberg and his, uh, you know, and his companies. And if she wants to do anything with that data, well, now she has to ask permission to the platform to use that. So she goes to the platform, she volunteers her data, and that is now how she interacts with the world because now the platform through which she interacts with the world owns her data. We usually say that if the service is free, the product is you, which is what social media kind of turned into. With Web3, you have the, the keys to your data. Your data is stored in the blockchain, no one can touch your data unless you let them through authorizing transactions. And now platforms come to you and everything you amass through your usage of Web3 is now your own property. You can take it anywhere with you and you can revoke access at any point in time because you own the private keys to that. Obviously, the upside is you become your own bank. You now have control of your finances, your identity your collectibles if you have nfts and stuff like that but with great power comes great responsibility like one character of a very famous marvel comic would say uh <laughs> yeah we're not we're not advertising any of that um but now you, being your own bank comes with being a bank responsibility so we're still in that era of seeing under the hood um we're kind of like in 1991 for the, you know, Web 1, I think, because we're seeing the codes and the IPs and the, all of the underlying under the hood uh, bits and pieces as we move towards a more sophistication uh, of Web 3 tooling and applications. These, these things are going to fade into the background because once the technology really works, what we see is that it fades in the background. We don't know. I used my cell phone this morning and I don't know which dynamic IP it's going through in the internet because it you know, it doesn't really matter uh it's gonna be a, a time until we get to a point where it doesn't really matter which blockchain we're using because it's fading into the background and it's just how we do things right so for the regular user uh it's still early days of 1991 and i don't remember my mom using the internet in 1991 uh but Eventually, she came around, and now she's obviously uh, using her cell phone for you know whatever she wants to do with a bank, 
whatever she wants to do with, you know, a game or talk to her grandsons. But um, we're, we're going to get there. So when, when we say that we're early in the industry, it's not that we're early because if we enter now, we're going to make a lot of money. We're early in the industry because there's still a lot to build. So, and, the, and, the, and the center face and this UX that, um, that we're seeing as a, as a big hurdle to adoption uh, is right now, as we speak, being tackled by very smart people. So what you're saying is the groundwork is now being laid. We were sort of you know, in between the individuals and companies uh, building the Web3. Uh, we're putting together a foundation for eventual mainstream adoption uh, of these uh, technologies. So, so I, can, I can relate to that, I understand. Um, what does it mean for businesses or should businesses already engage with that today uh, when they're not necessarily, you know, Web3 native or at least not yet? Yeah, I think I think for for businesses in, in general, the big opportunity is helping influence what gets built and how. Right. If, if you're a, a services company or a technology company, being able to be in a position to help develop the new Internet, the Internet of value, as Don Tapscott would name it. Um, is is a big opportunity. Even if you're not a core uh, participant of this, you might want to be able to influence how these things play out, both in terms of how things get built and also how things get regulated. Um, I know that I don't speak for the industry here because crypto is inherently anarchical and, and that's the, the, the ethos of original um, uh, cypherpunks. Um, but I don't think I don't see this getting massive adoption without proper regulation. And when I say proper regulation, it's not just you know telling people what to do and telling people what not to do, but also the regulators being able to be present on chain, be able to use the data that's on the blockchain, and be able to use the technology primitives uh, from crypto and Web three in their own benefit and in the benefit of the industry. Um, so if if you're an, a company and and you're trying to build in the space. Interacting with your, you know, the regulator of your sector or subsector of the economy is not something you would want to forfeit. Not at this stage, at least, right? I think collaboration, the name of the game is collaboration. Uh, blockchain as a technology itself is a technology that um, promotes and fosters uh, collaboration across participants, be it the miner or validator or even the users. Um, so it is important if you're a company to actually consider how these uh, technologies and these new primitives change your relationship with your customer base, your suppliers, um, how much more efficient you can get uh, by just adopting some of these things into how you do business. And when doing so, collaborate with your regulator. Uh, we're seeing innovation sandboxes being um, launched by regulators all over the world. Um, both focused on uh, crypto and also focused on everything else like instant payments and identity management and um, AI and machine learning. Um, and I think, you know, the, the big jurisdictions that are interested in evolving the marketplace are going to be very interested in understanding what the regulated companies are trying to do with this new set of uh, technology primitives. And if if they run away, if regulators push it, you know, push it away, what's going to happen because this technology is global, digital, and works 24-7 is that they can do this anywhere in the world. Like, there's no boundary. It's borderless. You know, Crypto as an infrastructure doesn't require you to be anywhere specifically. So you can find a place where the jurisdiction will be more friendly, which kind of 
plays against regulators because they don't like regulatory arbitrage, which I fully understand. But if you don't, if you're a regulator and you don't want this to happen, you might just want to sit with your regulated entities and discuss, you know, how to tackle this in controlled, uh, progressive, um, you know, gradually evolving way. Um, so you don't get left out of the global economy because I don't think Web3 is going anywhere. So what you're essentially saying is that it's in the interest of regulators to uh, before thinking to engage with the community to try to come up with uh, rules and regulations that work for everyone. Um, I hear from the industry quite a lot that they welcome regulation. At the very least, the boundaries are set and they can sort of discuss and help shape it if you're in dialogue with these regulators. At the same time, I participated in Brussels Blockchain Week just a few weeks ago uh, with the new uh, legislation in Europe, uh, which was not adopted then. Uh, the Mika regulation wasn't really adopted yet, but everyone knew it was coming. Uh, and I heard nothing but criticism, literally nothing but, you know, this is really bad for us and we'll just take our business elsewhere, etc. Um, how do you sort of specifically Mika, uh, the regulations that we have uh, here in Europe, uh, what's, your, what's your opinion on that? I think there's there is nuance between a law and a regulation, right? Once it's written as a law, then it needs to get implemented. And even banking regulations, when you see the law that's supporting banking regulations, they're very strict. Like they're very demanding. They require a lot of you know regulatory compliance, observation efforts. But when you go through the implementation of that as a regulation, there is nuance, right? If you're a big company, you have big requirements. If you're a small company. We have smaller requirements, have less requirements. You you, you can play a little more um, leeway within you know the the borderlines of the the regulation. So I think this is something we'll we'll, we'll probably see. Um, and in in the in the crypto space, what we'll see is that the big exchanges, the ones that are making tons of money, will have higher standards to be attained than say a crypto startup that's doing like like one DeFi protocol to kind of yield farm something within derivatives and stuff like that. So I think, um, and if it doesn't come that way, what's going to happen is people are going to just lift and shift. Uh, that is that is exactly what's going to happen. But when I say regulation, I don't mean just the lines that are written on a you know PDF somewhere. Regulatory integration is what's going to change the game. The stance of regulators, instead of just regulating from the sidelines, to actually go and participate on chain. And when I say this is that there's a lot of transactions on chain that they can start doing uh, their own um, reporting because the data is public. The data is out there. Ethereum is a public blockchain. Bitcoin is a public blockchain. Solana is a public blockchain. Everyone that's building a public blockchain can offer regulators a ton of data that right now in the existing traditional financial services don't exist. You can't have that degree in timeliness of data access to transactional data in the traditional financial system. You, you just can't. It, it, it's not available. It's on a mainframe somewhere. It's on a cloud somewhere. And the regulators need the banks to, or the regulated entities to provide them with reports, which happen between, I don't know, 30, 60, 90 days after the fact. So when I say regulatory integration, is also regulators coming in and using the data that's on chain in their favor. In an extreme example, if we had uh, all the CDSs and mortgage-backed securities from 2008 recorded on chain for everyone to see in a timely manner, it's really likely that we wouldn't have faced the 2008 crisis because everything would be available for analysis further on instead of having to wait for, I don't know, three or four weeks to see the data all across the world of whose derivative was 
being held by whom, right? So I think that that's one aspect. The second aspect is Web3 technology is programmable. You can program the behavior of assets in ways that are immutable and transparent. Everyone can see what's being coded. So if you're a regulator, my claim to you is write your own software development kit with the rules that you want to see standardized and offer that as a resource to the companies. So now that if I'm a builder, I can use your SDK on my software and make it completely compliant without much effort because now you're using a piece of software within my smart contract to actually go and build something new within your regulation. It's not going to allow me to to do some weird thing that is non-regulated because I'm using a piece of the software that prevents me from doing that. But it will expedite my go, to, you know, my time to market because now I'm using the foundation of the regulation. You won't see regulators coming into a bank and say, "I want to code a piece of your software." But in crypto, you can because it's public, because it's permissionless, because it's programmable. So I think the opportunity for regulators to change the stance and actually dive into the very infrastructure that they're trying to help regulate is a game changer for the industry, which I don't. I haven't seen any examples of this up until now, but I'm willing to be proven wrong. If there's a regulator that comes in, hey, we coded an SDK and we're using on-chain analytics to do this, that, and the other thing, that would be great. That would be great. And 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 I I would I would bet that this would attract more builders to that jurisdiction than anything else. Because now they can speak the same language because they know that the regulator understands what is it to build for a blockchain. How it works, what are the challenges. So I think experimentation at this stage we're in is fundamental. Uh, and it's not only for companies, it's also for regulators. So I, I would I would love to see this. Because I think that this is going to be a game changer. Yes, it will require, uh, require the regulators to change their stance. But I think it will be to the benefit of all, both the industry and obviously the regulators. Because if we're in the age of data, and blockchains offer you all the transactional data that you might want to regulate. I think it, you know it's kind of a perfect storm if you ask me. So um, I think it's a big opportunity, and and I would love to see that happening. Yeah, definitely with you there to see some examples of that uh, uh, sort of forward thinking by by regulators across the world. Um, until then, uh, we'll have to do with what we have today. Um, we talked about this foundation of the, the Web3, um, and especially when it comes to finance being laid. Uh, I think the core of it, uh, and, and something that's inherent sort of to the blockchain technology itself, is decentralization. You already mentioned DeFi sort of became the term um, to wrap everything decentralized finance under, under that, uh, that name. Uh, what does it mean? And what does it mean for the financial services giants of this world? The banks, the insurance companies, uh, you know, any financial service company that was around before blockchain, how do they need to look at this, this, this sort of wave of decentralization and how can they cope with it? Yeah, we, we kind of break, it, break the centralization in the report as, as a spectrum, right? Not everything can be fully decentralized. Not everything needs to be fully centralized. I think uh, we'll see different use cases across the spectrum depending on where they are in the value chain of financial services, and depending on where they are in the technology stack. So if you think about, say, a, a, a user access application, such as a wallet or a website, 
if it's fully decentralized, the time for it to load and process is just too it's just too long, right? Because it has to go everywhere and come back from everywhere, and that doesn't lend itself well for a good UX. So at that's at that point, I I don't think we're going to see things being too decentralized. So that is one angle. Obviously, when you go down the stack and you have the very data foundation, the more decentralized, the better, because then you have censorship resistance, you have resilience, you have redundancy, and you have persistence of the data, and you might not need crazy throughputs for you know loads of transactions because you can settle them in uh, micro batches. So it kind of helps you um, stabilize the foundation if you're more decentralized. When it comes to business, there is a potential trade-off between being centralized and achieving economies of scale, therefore being very profitable, and being very decentralized and achieving network effects, which kind of dilutes how much you can accumulate in terms of value uh, individually. But the total would probably be bigger than if you concentrated that power. So for every point in the financial services uh, value chain, we'll probably see different approaches um, to decentralization and to using decentralized infrastructure depending on where you are. So one example I, I like, I really like, is um, is in, in receivables, right? If you have a cash flow, a future cash flow, and you want to, right now, you want to offer that as a, a collateral to take a loan at a bank, the process is immense. There's a lot of verification. There's obviously lack of transparency, which assets are you talking about? But if you lay it on top of decentralized infrastructure, which will lend itself to the final uh, entity in this process, see what's happening in the first entity of this process, and everyone in between can see what they need to see to actually perform their jobs better, then the degree of efficiency is so much so much bigger. And not only that, because every, every one of these assets are now tokenized within the blockchain, they can be um, offered to a secondary market with much more liquidity. So in a sense, when we, when we see this value chain, not everything needs to be uh, decentralized. So a bank could take part on all of that. And as a matter of fact, banks are starting to use uh, funding from DeFi protocols to actually perform real-world transactions. So recently, MakerDAO uh, made a uh, trade finance um, operation using a centrifuge DeFi protocol. MakerDAO is one of the oldest uh, DAOs, a decentralized autonomous organization uh, on, on, on crypto. And uh, they issued the stablecoin called DAI, which is uh, pegged to the US dollar. But what they did is that they financed uh, the export of beef between Australia and Hong Kong. This is traditional finance, like one-on-one, right? But they did it with the funding coming through crypto. And the overall process was tracked with another blockchain to see where the beef was going, where it was headed, the bill of lading, etc. So everything became more efficient because there was this wealth of Web3 technologies being uh, you know, used to underpin the whole process. And each of them had a different position in the decentralized spectrum. The blockchain that's used to track the beef is not as decentralized 
as Ethereum, which is used to hold uh, the DAI in a vault, so it can pay for the um, for the invoice. So it's it's all different pieces of technology coming together, and each of them will play a part because each of them will have a, a specific place on this spectrum that they they can play for specific use cases. So I think in terms of being a traditional financial services company and looking into this, you won't become a DAO. <laughs> if that's if if that's the fear, then don't become a DAO. You don't need to. But can you use these technology primitives to actually offer uh, a better service, a more decentralized service, maybe even a cheaper service overall that you can maybe share the profit or the efficiency with your stakeholders? Well, yes. And if you don't experiment, you'll never know because this is the time where you're going to say, well, this works for me and this doesn't. What doesn't, doesn't. You don't need to use everything, but you'll use what actually works for you. It maybe help influence the way your regulator is seeing, well, yes, this is crypto, but it's not cryptocurrency. We're funding tra- traditional trade finance operations with the whole infrastructure, right? So I think the 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 degree in which we know what can be done is uh, is only going to be defined by the amount of experimentation uh, that we actually perform. Great. And experimentation we will have, I'm sure. Um, what I like about the report as well is that you talk about the risks. You don't shy away of talking about the risks involved. Um, without summarizing the entire section, what, what are some key uh, elements of risk that you uh, want to highlight here? I think if you're using any of the public blockchain uh, crypto infrastructure, uh, you're probably going to be exposed to volatility because the underpinning asset that you need to use to actually make the blockchain work for you is volatile. And the reason why it's volatile is because it's the first time in history we can price technology in real time as we use it. You can use a, an IBM mainframe and they will give you a price for that. You can use a Google Big Table and they'll give you a price for that. With blockchain, they will give you a price for that as soon as you want to use it and you're going to have to use the native asset of that blockchain to actually perform the activity. So, And, and, and that asset is traded 24-7 real-time digitally globally at any point. So that is that is one risk and the predictability of that is even riskier than just the price of, you know, the cost of using the blockchain. That's why we're seeing other forms of addressing that with what we call the layer two blockchains, which are blockchains that are um, cheaper, faster to use, maybe not as decentralized as a layer one, such as Ethereum, uh, but it will perform all of these functions similarly with uh, faster processing time and cheaper costs. And then it will roll into the layer one blockchain to facilitate that. So I think volatility is one risk that I would, you know, certainly consider. The second, uh, I think, is the smart contract risk. Smart contracts are software programs that we write, we humans write, and we we make mistakes. Uh, so there's a, a lot of uh, audit that goes on and testing. The most successful uh, DeFi protocols never stop testing. They're always testing, even after it's launched. They keep testing, they keep stressing. Uh, and I think that this is uh, one of those things that DeFi brought in from enterprise-grade software that never stops testing, uh, which I think is great. Uh, and it has to be uh, that way because it's a very dynamic world. And because Web3 is also permissionless and composable, if someone is using your token for something else, and your token presents a behavior that you didn't forecast on your programming, 
you need to keep testing because there's other uses from your own assets you didn't foresee and you didn't plan for it. So you need to continuously test, uh, which is which is uh, what will probably make this industry much more resilient than anything we've seen in history. So I think um, smart contract risk is another. So if you're using any of this technology, never stop testing, never stop auditing. Um, there's a lot of bounty programs out there uh, for the major uh, protocols. Bounty programs are uh, rewards program if you're uh, a quote-unquote white hacker and you go and find a, a flaw or, 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 or a breach in any of these softwares, you get paid for that if you don't announce it to you know the hacker world before anything else. If you go straight back to the program and say, I found a glitch on your program, here it is, fix it. Um, they'll they'll pay you a reward, um, and 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 sometimes will pay you handsomely. So I think smart contracts are a specific uh, a specific risk that needs to be tackled. Um, there's also an emerging industry on the back of that, which is the insurance industry. You can now insure if your smart contract um, has a glitch that you didn't, you know, your audit didn't pick up. Or for whatever reason, your tests didn't pick up and a user uh, happens to have a problem with your smart contract, you can um, trigger a, a claim on an insurer um, to actually reward, uh, you know, pay, pay the claim back to the user that had the problem. So I think there's, there's a lot of uh, alternatives to tackle that, but it's still a risk. If you don't do anything, it's still a risk, right? And I think the, the third risk uh, in, in all of this is this sort of uh, the understanding of what this is good for. I mean, as much as I would love to, you know, sell projects for every bank in the world for Web3, if you can't find a real problem to be solved with this technology, then don't. Really. I mean, it's technology for technology's sake is the worst use of time and energy you can possibly have and money. So just just don't. Don't 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 FOMO. FOMO is a risk. FOMO is the fear of missing out. If you don't see a business reason to tackle any of this with, with the Web3 technologies, just just don't. That's that in itself is a risk. So don't FOMO. Really think through what the decisions are. Have a decision framework to actually tackle these things. And don't jump on the same the like first opportunity that comes to mind, right? If if you're offered you know, a partnership with a crypto company, make sure that this speaks to your strategy. Don't don't just do stuff that, that's opportunistic, but it will stray you from your strategy because you still owe your stakeholders and shareholders some form of transparency of what you're trying to do and your regulators. So uh, d- just don't FOMO. Don't, don't buy the first NFT that crosses your path, right? Just understand what, as a business, understand what that means to you and your strategy. Uh, and if you don't have a strategy, for whatever reason, to use these new technologies, then maybe it's the time to think about one. But don't FOMO. Don't don't just like it's it's if, if you if you FOMO, everything else is a risk, right? So I think that is probably the. Um, but obviously, experiment, experiment. You know, as long as it's part of your strategy, experiment. Make sure that you understand the implications of the risks and obviously the opportunities of actually tackling. Um, Web3. I think that's really sound advice. Thank you for that. Uh, we're already 35 minutes in, but I do want to uh, leave the conversation just with one more question. 
which is the report which we're going to link to in the show notes, of course, is more than 70 pages long. Uh, so this is a tough one. But if you could summarize it in just a few lines, like how Web3 is shaping the future of finance, uh, just to close the conversation, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I think Web3 is adding four things to the future of finance, which we call it the concepts, right? The, the, the technologies are primitives, um, wallets, tokens, smart contracts, and blockchains. But the way Web3 addresses ownership in ways that you own your data, be it your identity or your financial data or your assets, is a real game changer. Um, it's it's a, a change in the center of gravity of finance. Right now, we all rely on third-party custodians of everything we do. The app on your phone that holds your credit card, yeah, it holds your credit card. It's not you, it's them, right? So I think there's a, a change in the center of gravity of financial services that the incumbents will have to come to terms with because as these newer generations that are crypto natives are entering the market and you know entering the workforce, uh, they will have different demands. And one of the demands is that they will have uh, the need to own what they own. And that changes how we, uh, you know, as financial services providers, we interact with the customer base in a very dramatic way. And we, we need to understand that. We need to understand the, this new dynamic. Uh, so I think the, the ownership is one. And obviously we have decentralization we spoke about here, programmability and composability that changes the way we can build stuff. But ultimately, ownership changes how we perceive what we're owed um, as individuals. So I think um, Web3 enables uh, that in a different way uh, that both fintechs, banks, and regulators will have to come to terms with and uh, real soon. That's a great summary. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, report. Uh, it shares a lot of insights, so we'll be very happy to link to the, uh, to the report in the show notes. Mauricio, thank you so much for offering uh, your time and your uh, advice as well. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. And best of luck with 11FS. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu and they will most certainly be ignored. <laughs>